Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Welcome, Harbor Man. So glad to see you guys. Thank you guys so much for coming out and packing out the house on this Thanksgiving weekend. Everybody that's online right now, watching on YouTube or Facebook, man, thank you guys for joining us. I know we got people in the overflow room. We're so glad that you're here. If you're listening to this on the podcast, my name is Josh Adams. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor Church. I'm stoked that you're with us. I know some of you, this is your first time ever here or your first time in any church. And uh, man, we're just, we're grateful that you're you're giving up a little bit of your time to see, man, does God have something for you? I believe he does. I believe he's got a word for you. I want to follow up with what Zach was saying about that trip to Guatemala. I was able to, to go down and join our team halfway through their trip and just see some of the stuff that they were doing. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. And the reason I share that with you, church, is because they went representing you. I know most of you weren't able to go, but I want you to know they went and, and represented Harbor to those missions that we have there. And some of you are like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really part of that. Know this, if you've ever given a dollar, then you contributed to what we were doing that week and to the missions that we were a part of. You'll notice here that we have never passed an offering plate. We've never put it in front of you and tried to guilt trip you into giving. But we do have those boxes and online giving. And what we do is if you want to give, if you feel like, hey, man, I feel like God's called me to, to be open-handed with my treasure. If you've ever put a single dollar in at Harbor, then you have contributed to the missions. Because when, when, when an offering comes in, before we pay our bills, before we do anything for Harbor Church, we take off the top and we give it away to the community and global missions. And we just try to bless people with the gospel. And so part of what the missions team went to in Guatemala was they visited orphanages and feeding centers down in Guatemala that we support and missionaries and churches that we support down there. Um, I mean, we got a chance to just have a lot of fun. We played some soccer with some orphans. We built a home uh, for some people. Uh, like, I mean, granted, we built a home in a day. Now, it, it, you might be like, well, what, what was it? Yes, it was a dirt floor with wood posts and corrugated tin, but it was about 200 times better than what they were living in. Um, and we were able to do that and just it, it dr dramatically improve their life. Um, and it was, so, it was so cool to get to be a part of that. One of the things we did is we showed up at one of the orphanages and we were just handing out soccer balls. Um, we got a chance to give every single kid a, their very own soccer ball, which to you may not be a big of a deal. One of the kids here, he gets the soccer ball and he's like, Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad. He's like, it's Christmas. He was so excited to get one soccer ball. Um, and man, their stories, they're, heart, they're heartbreaking. This little boy right here in the wheelchair that pulls up to get a, a soccer ball, his name's Santos. And, and I just talked to the missionaries yesterday. They found out, they did a little surgery on his leg. They found that his leg has cancer and they're gonna have to amputate it. And you can be praying for Santos and, and his brother and sister that are at that orphanage as well. They found him living on the streets at six months old brought him in. And one of the things that broke our hearts there as we listened to them uh, just talk about at this manna uh, orphanage, at this manna house uh, that we support, they talked about how the need for education was so uh, prevalent. Um, they're, bringing, they're finding kids 11, 12, 13 years old that are coming in that don't know how to read or write. They don't have any education. And you got to understand education is a luxury. These kids are just trying to survive. So of course, they're not going to go to school. They're going to do whatever kind of job they can to get food. And so one of the things the orphanage is trying to do is to help them get an education. And they shared with us that every year of education that you can add to that kid's life adds somewhere between 20 and 30% success rate to them making it as an adult. So just getting them from third grade to the fourth grade adds another 20 or 30% to the likelihood of them being able to be successful uh, once they're grown. So we heard that and we just kind of prayed through it. And as a team, we told the orphanage that Harbor Church collectively 
What we're going to do for 2024 is we're going to scholarship every kid in that orphanage so they can get an education this year because of you guys. So thank you, church. Thank, thank you for giving me the confidence as a pastor to be able to love on some people globally. And you'd say, well, how can we do that? Well, like I said, every dollar that ever comes in is what we use to support missions across the board, just monthly support to missionaries, to orphanages, stuff like that. But we also started this year a thing called the Hope Fund, um, our Hope Project Fund. And the Hope Project was something that we created so that this church, which in my opinion is one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of, um, if you decide to go above your tithes and offerings, just the normal gift of, of helping us maintain Harbor and our, our relationships, to go above and beyond that, we wanted to create something to have a little extra so that if a missionary called us and said, hey, man, we have a, a special need, um, you know, like we, we, our van's broken or we need to build a house really quick or something, we would have an extra fund able to go above and beyond what we normally do. And so if you ever sign up on one of these envelopes or if you go online for our giving and you see the Hope Project, that's how we're helping um, do this. And if you wanna help with those scholarships, you can give to that. And you've heard me talk about this and I don't normally talk about money at Harbor Church, but we're coming to the end of the year and some people were asking, hey, for my business or for me personally, I would like to give something, you know, honestly, something tax deductible ideally and some kind of end of the year gift. And so I've just been, I'm encouraging our church, would you pray towards a radical gift of generosity um, for the end of this year to help us get into our new, uh, our, our, our next campus. I shouldn't say our new campus. Um, it's just an, an additional campus that we have going up in the Katuit Mashby area. Um, we were gifted, a church gave us that, and uh, we've been making repairs. And you can find some pamphlets around the building that talks about some of the work that needs to get done, renovating the kids' classrooms, and ideally um, buying a, a, a paving the parking lot so we have some parking spaces there. Uh, if you, if you could pray towards that and say, man, is God doing something in me to, to go above and beyond, that, that gift would be huge, and that's, that's part of our campus growth. And you can find that on the drop-down menus online or on any of the pamphlets, and that helps us go into this next phase so that God can continue to bless us reaching out to more and more families. One of the things that I want to talk about when it comes to uh, the next steps for us, I believe the campus in Mashby is the next step for our church, and we're praying we can get that open very, very soon. Uh, the series that we're in, as you saw from that bumper video, is, is this idea that God is taking all of us on a journey. Every single one of you have a step that God wants you to take, whether it be for us corporately as a church or whether it be for you individually. God has created you and has a unique path for your life where when you walk in the path that God has for you, that's the path that's blessed. That's the path that will give you the most purpose. The problem is we struggle to do things God's way because of a thousand different reasons. And we've looked at a lot of different messages and heard a lot of different people. And man, didn't John Petty just crush it last week while I was gone? Man, he killed it. Phenomenal, phenomenal job. John did. Um, and uh, we've just been looking at different characters in this series. Well, today I want you to look at a character who God takes him on a journey to learn how to deal with uh, some struggling issues inside of his extended family. And uh, this guy's name is Jacob. And if you were here for our outdoor um, block party a couple of weeks ago, I, I told this story of Jacob where he has nothing. He's running for his life. He has nothing to his name. And he falls asleep one night and takes a rock and uses a rock for a pillow. And 
in that dream and that night of sleeping, God came to him in his dream and said, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. You have to trust me, but I, I'm going to put my hand on you and I'm going to take care of you. Jacob wakes up. He takes his, his rock pillow, if you will, and he starts piling up a bunch of rocks and he builds a monument. He says, this is to remind me that God's with me. And I preached on that and I want to pick up the story. He leaves that pile of rocks and he continues to travel. And he, he eventually gets to a foreign land and he, he comes across his uncle his mom's brother, his uncle Laban. And Laban is not a good uncle. Laban is a shyster of an uncle. He's a con artist. He's a trickster. Laban is uh, one of those family members that's really toxic. <laughs> Laban changes his wages on him. Jacob uh, wants to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, work for me for seven years and I'll give her to you as a wife. And after seven years, the wedding night comes and Laban sneakily substitutes his oldest daughter, Leah, instead of Rachel. And so Jacob wakes up the next morning married to the wrong woman and he's all mad. And Laban says, well, work another seven years and I'll give you Rachel. And now you can have two wives. So he works another seven years, but he's got two wives. And Laban says, well, hey, um, God's blessing you because you're working, uh, it's blessing me because you're working for me. And so I want to keep you working for me. So how about now that you got two wives and it's been 14 years, how about you keep working for me? And we'll, that's how you can get some, some livestock, some cattle, some sheep, some goats and camels and stuff like that and, and support your family. So Jacob keeps doing that. Now, fast forward, it's been 20 years that Jacob has been working for his uncle Laban and Laban keeps, keeps manipulating him. Laban keeps... Uh, changing his wages. Laban keeps uh, lying to him. And so I thought, <laughs> as we look forward to the holiday season, we might talk about the journey that God takes us on, on how we deal with tough family members. Now, some of you can't shake your heads too much because you're sitting next to tough family members. <laughs> but what does the Bible have for us? And what, what part of our journey might might be something that we need to deal with these people and how would God have us deal with them? And maybe you have an Uncle Laban who is just, man, he is the source of drama and contention in your family. Let's look at this. The story happens in Genesis chapter 31. Laban's always been shady, but Laban starts to be extra mean now, 20 years in. And it says in verse two, Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude towards him. So the Lord says to Jacob, Hey, Jacob, I want you to return to the land of your father and of your grandfather, to your relatives. Remember that Bethel where we piled that bunch of rocks up? Go back there. And, and I'm going to be with you. I got you. This is part of what God calls us on. He calls us on a journey. He says, it's not going to be easy, but I'm with you. And we have to trust to take the steps that God's called us to. But these steps are going to be difficult for Jacob because he's going to have to lead his family away from what is the traditional family circle and practices. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching his flock, and he says to them, hey, hun, hun, honeys, wives, hey, I've noticed that your dad's attitude towards me has changed, but the God of my father has been with me. You know how hard I've worked for your father, and yet he's cheated me time and time again. He's changed my wages 10 times, but God hasn't allowed him to do me any harm. Jacob is making a point here, and here's what we got to understand. Jacob is saying, I've got this, this Laban in my life. I've got this uncle who is tormenting me. I've got this family member who is toxic. I've got this person 
who has, has made my life miserable. Your dad is adding drama. He is so toxic and so heavy and so, 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 so broken. It's, it's, it's creeping into our family. And I need you, you, you girls to know, he, he says to his wives, I haven't done anything wrong. God is with me because as bad as your dad has been, I haven't retaliated. So before we talk about how we deal with Laban's, Let's make sure that we aren't the Labans. Because here's what you hear. You're like, oh, he's going to talk about bad family. Oh, yeah, here we go, Pastor. I got a couple for you. I'm going to send this message to my uncle. I got it. I got a sister who is so bad. Hold on. Maybe you're the Laban in somebody's life. You see, what Jacob can do here is Jacob can say, God, what's your path for me? Because I have acted the way that you want me to act. I've been honorable. I haven't lowered myself. Are you ready? I haven't lowered myself to act like that family member who's making my life miserable. I'll see a lot of people shaking their heads. Yes. That means when Uncle Laban came over for Thanksgiving dinner and started talking about who he was voting for and how his politics are correct, Jacob didn't retaliate by going, oh, you're so stupid. Let me tell you about what. Jacob didn't do that. And so Jacob can now say, what's God's path for me because I've been doing what God's called me to. Can you say that? Well, Jacob's been, or Laban's been mean to Jacob, but Jacob wasn't mean back. Can you say that? His person, now maybe your family's great. <laughs> maybe your Laban is a boss. Maybe your Laban is a neighbor, a kid at your school. It doesn't have to be a family member. But when it comes to that person who lies to you and lies about you, who says really hateful things, who calls you out in front of other people trying to embarrass you. You know what I'm talking about. We're like, they're like, and you're like, shut up. Why do you have to bring that drama up every time? Those people, when that happens, how do you respond? Here's a note I wrote in my Bible. As a believer, I'm called to react with righteousness, not respond with retaliation. I'm trying to help some of y'all out for this Thanksgiving dinner. Take some freaking notes right now. You know what? When they sit down, you know what you should do? Shut up. Just, you don't have to retaliate to everything. You don't understand, Pastor Josh. They think they're right. Yeah, but you telling them how you think you're right doesn't take away from drama. It just fuels the drama. How about you be different? Don't be somebody else's Laban. Even if you've got one, don't add to it. The Bible says this, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Talk is cheap. Let us show the truth by our actions. Stop telling your family members and your coworkers and your classmates and your friends and your neighbors that you love Jesus or that you're a Christian or that you got the answers. Stop telling everybody, start showing everybody. That means you're going to have to put your money where your mouth is, and if you really do love them, if you really do know Jesus, and if you really have found peace and joy, then you might just have to stay quiet. You might just have to be, you might just have to be the kind of person that says, hey, you know what? I don't know. I don't know why Laban is acting the way he is, but I'm not going to act that way back. 
Why? Because our actions, the next verse, shows that we belong to the truth. See, it doesn't matter how many Harbor Church t-shirts you wear. That's not going to convince people that you got Jesus. It may not be the things you say this, this holiday. Are you ready? It may not be the things you say this holiday that points them to Jesus. It may be the things you don't say. Oh, a pastor. Just feel that tension for a second, okay? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, above all, what you got to do, you must live as citizens of heaven. Conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the good news about Christ. What's that saying? The Bible says that you are to be an ambassador for Jesus. You know that this earth isn't your home, that long-term you're called to heaven. So when you walk around, you're not walking around representing you. You show up at dinner on Thursday representing and being an ambassador for the, for the kingdom of heaven, and you conduct yourself in the way that an ambassador should. This isn't about me. You ready? This isn't about me. Some of y'all should write that down, say it out. This isn't about me. This is about the opportunity that God's given me to represent him. So it's not about my feelings. It's not about my preference. And it's not about my issues. And it's not about everything that I want. Ooh, can you imagine a family dinner that started that way? Where everybody felt that way? Man, this is about me learning to serve those around me the way that Christ would have served them. So what do they need? What would help them have a great time? And we go in with that kind of attitude. First Peter chapter two, verse 12 says, be careful, be intentional to live your life properly amongst your unbelieving neighbors so that even if they do accuse you of doing wrong, they'll have to see your honorable behavior and then they'll have to give God honor when he judges the world. So even though that coworker, that boss, that cousin of yours, grandma, whatever, when they come and they did blah, 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 and they got stuff to say about you, nobody has reason to believe all their crap about you because they look at you and you're completely different from all the garbage that's being said about you. So when somebody comes and they're like, uh, what, he's got an anger problem? He's a, real, he's a real jerk? Let me see. You're right. That's what I see too. Huh? She's a gossip and a busybody, keeps running her mouth, doesn't know when to shut up. Let me watch. Yeah, I think you nailed that one. Is there anything about the way that you live your life that speaks against all the crap that people are talking about you? If people are going to talk bad about you, live your life in a way that when somebody else looks at you, they go, this guy's got to be lying because that's not what I see in them at all. You're not helping your case is all I'm saying. I'm getting zero head shakes today. I knew this message would be awesome. All right. Here we go. How does, how does Rachel and Leah respond to Jacob saying, hey, your dad's a problem and we've got we've to, as a family, we've got to deal with this. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Rachel and Leah responded, hey, that's fine with us. We won't inherit any of our father's wealth anyways. He has reduced our rights to those of foreign women. And after he sold us, he wasted the money that you paid him for us. And all the wealth that God has given you from our father legally belongs to us and our children. So go ahead and do whatever God has told you. So Jacob put his wives and his children on camels. Now, if you don't understand culturally what's happening there, the girls are saying, and you got to understand the context of the day. 
the girls are saying, our dad has, has kind of walked away from our family traditions. Our dad has, has kind of adopted some of the pagan rituals. He's treating us like foreigners. We're not, we're not part of it. He's, he's kind of, he's, he's, he's doing things wrong. He's going after the way other people are acting around us. And this isn't healthy anymore. And the result is Jacob outwitted Laban, the Aramean. This is verse 20. For they set out secretly and they never told Laban that they were leaving. So Jacob took all of his possessions with him and he crossed the Euphrates River heading for the hill country of Gilead. Now here's, here's where I'm gonna upset some of you, but I'm doing it because I love you. I'm doing it because somebody has to speak truth in, into your life and that's my job as your pastor to do this and some of it's gonna hurt because it's gonna go just like Rachel and Leah had to stop and go, Jacob, you're right. Our family isn't healthy. See, some of you heard me talking and you, you said, some of you are immediately like, yes, I got it. Broken, I got it. Toxic families, got it. Like broken families, I got it. I, that's my, I got 12 relatives coming to my mind right now. Some of you went, not me, not my family. He's not talking, not my family. See, some of us, we come from such ingrained family tradition. We have such a rich history in our families that we've been, we've, we've been taught and had it impressed upon us from a young age to be proud of and to defend our family traditions. And a lot of that is good. Please don't get at me about hurting your family. I'm not saying everything is bad. But what I'm saying is there's times that what we do is we put on blinders because we think that's showing loyalty. Not my mom, not my dad, they're, they're perfect. They don't do anything. Not my kids, not my, not my uncle, not my brother, not, not my sister, not, no, not, 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 not here, not my job. No, no, we're good, we're good. Every, you're talking about other people, not mine. See, Rachel and Leah had to hear this testimony from their husband, who's the leader of their family saying, hey, this is not God's best for us. And then they had to sit there and they had to go through a three-stage process, which I'm gonna encourage you to do as well. And what they had to do is they had to look at, and you, 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 as you might come from, you know, I know around here we got a lot of Irish and Italian families. That's a lot of history and tradition. And I know there's other ones too, but like, I mean, man, you might have like just ingrained, this is how we do it. My great, 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 great grandpa did it this way and we have done it. Okay, cool, I get it. I get it, all right. You, you might have to acknowledge that this is not all the way it should have been, that, that, that everything isn't God's best. And that's part of what it means to be, you might be the first light bearer. You might be the first ambassador for the kingdom of heaven in your family. So you might have to be the one who says, no, this is not God's best. It's gonna come in three ways. And they're all three A's. First, you're gonna have to admit what's wrong. You're gonna have to admit hey, this is not right. And then what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to acknowledge who's at fault. And then you're gonna have to accept the need for change. You have to admit, acknowledge, and accept. Admitting what's wrong, that's gonna be tough because here's how it is. Nah, not us. That's not wrong. That's just how our family does it, man. We just get a little lit come the holidays. Woo! No, our family, our family has a drinking problem. See how different that is? Because no, no, we're just, we just push that under the rug. It's just, it's just how we do it. It's just, <laughs> that's what we come from. Nah, 
all we're doing is we're just instilling in the next generation a dependency on alcohol that shouldn't be there. And we make it fun during the holidays and we just totally don't talk about how depressive it is the rest of the time. That is not God's best. You might have to be the person with enough courage and strength to call wrong, wrong, even though it's the way our family's done it. Hey, hey, man, it's my brother. He's just got a little bit of an anger problem. No, your brother's a jerk. You can love him and still call wrong, wrong. Not only, can you bring that back up, please? Leave that slide up. Just leave it up until I'm done with it. Admit what's wrong, but then I want you to acknowledge who's at fault. See, here's what we do. We, we make excuses for people we love because we feel like that's showing them loyalty. And all we're doing is we're empowering them to stay broken. Parents, your kid is stupid. At least sometimes. Because the genetics they got from you helps them do that. It's a hereditary problem that they got from you. But I see parents all the time, not my baby. It's the teacher's fault. It's not teacher's fault. It's your kid's fault. Not, not, you don't understand. It's not my dad's fault that he's like that. I mean, he, he, he had a rough childhood. Maybe he did have a rough childhood. Doesn't excuse your dad treating you the way he did. Oh, no, don't talk about my sister like that. Her ex-husband was such a jerk. He may have been. Her ex-husband may have been horrible. That doesn't give your sister the excuse to act the way she's acting. She's responsible for her actions. He's responsible for his actions. You can hold people accountable and still love them. But we put on blinders. No, 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 not my, Rachel and Leah, not my dad. Our dad's great. Our dad's, he's the patriarch. He does everything. Everything he does is perfect. When you get around somebody and they refuse to see fault in somebody that, that is doing something wrong, well, all that does is it just it continues to build up this, this environment that nothing healthy can grow. And that's why you have to admit, acknowledge, and then accept, and this might be the hard part today, accept that, that, that things need to change. Things have got to be different. Even if it's been the tradition of your family to have that brokenness just get brushed under the carpet for, for generation after generation, you can be the one who breaks that generational curse. And you can say, with God's help, our family is not going to do that. That's going to end here. I'm not passing that on to my kids. Now, we're talking about some heavy stuff, and I'm not trying to be a downer because some of you came in, you're like, yay, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> this is not the message I wanted. <laughs> but you got to understand if you allow all that toxicity, all that brokenness to continue to, to, to encompass you, the ground that you're trying to grow a family in will not produce anything healthy. And you're wondering, why, 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 is, why, is, it, why is our family broken just like my dad's family was, my mom's family Because you're not changing anything. God has better for you, but part of the journey of going on what God has better for you means leaving where you're at and taking steps in a different direction. And some of you need to man up, step up, and lead your families out of the brokenness into God's best. But that's going to require change. It's going to require you to, to learn how to navigate tough Uncle Laban's. Some of you don't want to admit <laughs> that you can't keep hanging out with the Uncle Labans of your life. This liar, con artist, jerk of a person is going to influence Rachel and Leah's 
sons if they don't get them out of there. Grandpa is going to corrupt mom and dad and the, grandboy, and, and the grandbabies pretty quickly if they don't make a change. Some of you, if you don't stop hanging out with those stupid co-workers of yours, those dumb kids on the bus, those buddies of yours from high school, if you don't make a change, it's going to mess you up. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company corrupts good character. Well, not me. I'll be the one exception in all of mankind, Pastor. Well, I will, I will make them better by me being good, even though they're bad. You put a bad apple in a barrel, or a good apple in a barrel full of bad apples, the bad apples don't become good. The good apple rots. That's what the Bible's talking about in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, but you associate with fools, and you're gonna get in trouble. You can't run with dogs and not expect to catch fleas. Some of y'all need to understand you're going to have to make a change to what environments you're putting yourself in and you're putting your family in. Well, pastor, maybe my family is broken, but aren't I called to obey my parents? The Bible says children obey your parents. You're right. It does say that. What's the first word? Children. That's for a child. If you're in here and you're 30 and you're still a child, I got a different message for you. Um, that the command to obey your parents falls under people who are subject under that family household. This is my parent who is responsible for me, so I am responsible to obey them. Now, the Bible also commands us, honor your parents. That command does not have an expiration date. Your parents are your parents, whether you're five or 55. And you should always seek to honor them. But once you become responsible for yourself and you're no longer under their roof, you are not required to obey them. You do not have to obey your parents. You should always seek to honor them, to love them. And if you're in here and you're a parent, you don't want your kid, you, you might think you do, but you don't want your kid obeying you when they're 30 and 40 and 50. That's an insecurity in you that you need them to do that. What you want is you want them making wise choices on their own. Because if they're dependent on you to make all the wise choices for them and you die, you have set them up for failure. Exactly. To, be to, have an, uh, to be impressed upon by every other force outside of them. They need to be able to stand on their own, including standing up to you and saying no. And this is going to hurt some feelings. But I said, hey, things got to change, right? When God created the institution of marriage... Go back to Genesis chapter two. In verse 24, it says, for this reason, because he created marriage between a man and a woman that comes together in this, this holy union called marriage, he says, this is what it looks like. He says, because of this, man is to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two become one. I like to read that verse at a lot of weddings because it helps, it's gonna help set the tone across all the in-laws real quick. See, here's what we love to say at weddings. I'm just so happy, you know, the, the groom's family. Said, we're so happy. We're just adding her to our family today. Bride's family. We're just so happy. We're just adding him to our family today. No, you're not. You are now extended family. These two are now their own family. And even if you're single, if you, have, if you are no longer under your parents' roof, you are now, even as a single person, you are a family of one. You are responsible for what it is that God has called this family unit to do. 
You are responsible for that. And if you are married, your family is now that person you're married to and any of your children greater than, I I know I'm gonna step on a lot of toes, greater than grandma and grandpa and your brothers and your sisters. Those are now your extended family and I want you to love them and I want you to be with them, but your responsibility is not to them, it's to this family first. Here's where it's gotten, here's where it's gotten problematic. It's mom and dad don't wanna let go especially not when we add them grandbabies in. You, you gotta come with us. And then here's how it starts. Well, we've always had Christmas together and you gotta bring, bring those grandbabies. I just miss my grandbabies. You better get over here. And this, we do Christmas like this. And then why, why can't your husband just get on board with how we do Christmas? Just bring him with us. Okay, this is what our family does. Wine, 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 man, emotions, emotions, manipulate, manipulate. And his family's over here going, Dude, this is how we do vacations. We, we, you can't do that. You can't break. We've always done vacations like this. This is, how, this is how Thanksgiving rolls. This is how we do birthdays. You gotta make sure, get your wife, let's go. This is, like, this, is what, this is what we do. Manipulation, manipulation, stress, and pressure. And this person in the, this new marriage, this new family has been created. I'm speaking to all you, you newlyweds. And you're getting pulled this way by this tradition. And you're getting pulled this way by this manipulation. And you're being guilt-tripped into to, to twisting this new family into a pretzel to make this old family happy or to make sure that mom or grandpa isn't upset. And, and we're wondering why our marriages are breaking when they have that kind of pressure and manipulation and guilt trips put on them so much from the outside. Shame on you, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, if you're putting that kind of pressure on the new family. Now, if you're smart, you'll live your life in a way that they want to honor you by being around you. How about you create an environment that is so healthy because you are healthy that they, they are excited for their kids to get to be under grandma and grandpa. Not, no, all she does, she's a narcissist, all she does is manipulate. No, he's, he's always got some backhanded comment about how things gotta be. They know how grandma and grandpa are because they grew up in your house and now they don't want their kids to be there. That's their right. You need to work on you to create an environment that they want to go to, not guilt trip them and manipulate them and whine and and cry until they agree to come over to you. You shouldn't want that for your kids. And if that's what you're doing to your kids, then shame on you. That's not God's best for them. Rachel and Leah, they had to figure this out. They had to say, okay, hey, yeah, dad isn't who he should be. And he's, he's actually pretty toxic. And so they leave. Now what happens when you start to deal with that. Well, verse 22 says, three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he gathered a group of his relatives and he set out in hot pursuit. It's a weird phrase, right? Anybody else think of like smoking the bandit when I read that? I'm in hot pursuit. Okay, he caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. That means that he had a, Jacob had a three-day head start and, and Laban caught him seven days later. Laban was hauling with horses and his sons and his, his, uh, his men servant, he brought an army. Jacob had women and children. Laban was not coming for a sweet family reunion. Laban was going to kill Jacob and take back his daughters and his grandkids and all of his stuff. Now I'm cutting out a bunch of verses. You can go read the story for your own. The night that he caught up to Jacob, that night God came and visited Laban in a dream and said, Laban, if you mess with Jacob, I'm gonna mess you up. 
And so Laban had a small attitude adjustment. He's like, maybe I won't kill Jacob tomorrow. But he shows up to talk to Jacob, and here's the conversation. What do you mean by deceiving me like this, Laban demanded. How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why, why did you slip away secretly? Why did you deceive me? Why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music and accompanied by tambourines and harps. It's not in there, but I'm almost positive that Jacob looked up and was like, am I on crack? <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. Now, I need you to understand this. When you stand up to that family member and you say, hey, things have got to change. This is not right. This is not the best for our family. Mom, dad, brother, sister. This is not God's best for us. We're going to do something else. I need you to understand, I hope that they, their response is, man, you're right. I've been really broken and I have been, I have been toxic to our family. I'm sorry, I'm gonna fix that, I'm gonna be better. That's probably not what's gonna happen though. You're gonna get a Laban reaction. What? Me? I don't do anything wrong. I am the best that there's ever been. It's all your fault, look at what you do. That's probably what's gonna happen. When you confront a narcissist about their issues, they will never be the one who needs to fix anything. They will always spin it that it's on you. Now, by the way, don't forget, sometimes you're Laban. But when you're dealing with these people, they just may not be based in reality and they may not respect it. It doesn't mean that you go back and compromise like, well, okay, I was wrong. No, if God tells you this is what's right, then what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to learn how to deal with people who are toxic and broken, as much as you love them, you still have to learn, okay, now what, what, what's God's best for this situation when they won't change and they won't alter who they are? Well, watch what happens. Jacob, verse 45, took a stone and he set it up as a monument and he told his family members, hey, gather some stones. So they gathered stones and they piled them up into a heap. <clears throat> and then Jacob and Laban sat down by the pile of stones to eat a covenant meal. Now, here's what you need to understand. In the culture of the day, Laban would have been the patriarch. So they sit down to have a negotiation. They come to terms. Laban will get to be the one who presents the terms. But don't read this thinking this is Laban's move. Jacob set up the pile of rocks. Jacob is the one that sat down and said, hey, dad, father-in-law, I love you, but here's the new rules. Now, this is what they negotiate, and this is what they come to. To commemorate the event, Laban called the pile uh, Yegar Sahudutha, uh, which means a witness pile in Aramaic, and Jacob called it Galid, which means witness pile in Hebrew. Then Laban declared, hey, this pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of the covenant that we've made today. And this explains why it's called Galid, witness pile. But it's also called Mizpah, which means watchtower. For Laban said, may the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this covenant when we're outside of each other's sight. So this isn't just a peace treaty for today. This is a new boundary line. And he said, if you mistreat my daughters, if you marry other wives, God will see it even when no one else does. He is a witness to this covenant between us. See this pile of stones, Laban continued, and, and see this monument that I have set between us. Like he did it. <laughs> Sometimes people want to take credit for stuff they don't do. Just freaking let them have it, whatever. See, this is what I've done. They stand between us as a witness of our vows. I will never pass this pile of stones to harm you, and you must never pass these stones on this monument to harm me. 
I call on the God of our ancestors, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of my grandfather Nahor, to serve as a judge between us. So Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God of his father, Isaac, to respect the boundary line. Now, here's what I'm telling you. When you have these toxic family members, when you have these broken family members, when you have these people, maybe it's not family, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor, whatever, but you have these people and you're like, God has got better for us and we cannot continue to have this taking place. Now, some of you might go, well, you, you preached about us like being a light in the darkness. Absolutely, I did. I am not telling you to become reclusive and push everybody out of your life. Jesus continued to hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners, but they were not the primary influence in his life. He was a positive influence into their life, which is what we're supposed to be, but they were not primary in his life. You should always be a positive influence on all of the darkness, shine into it, but you do not let that become the primary influence in your life. That's why you set up boundaries. Jacob sets up a boundary. You have been told, some of you, that boundaries are hateful. They can be, but they shouldn't be. Boundaries can be set up in love. When you have kids, you should set a boundary. Here's where you play, not there. The road is dangerous. The boundary says, here's the safe place for you to be. Boundaries don't have to be hate-filled. If done properly, you can set boundaries that say, hey, here's how I love you. Here's what's the healthiest thing for us. Some of you are like, you're talking about turning my back on my family. I'm not talking about turning your back on your family. I'm talking about turning your face to God. Here's what's best for God. Here's what's the best that God has for me and for my family. This is not me not loving you. I actually hope you will do the same thing. But I have to go this way. And if our family tradition says that it has to be that way, then I'm going to pick this instead of that. That can be done in love. And a boundary can be set up in love. But here's what's going to take. You cannot draw a line with somebody because you hate them. That's not going to help. You can't say, this is it because of what you've done and because of who you are. No more. And that's usually us reaching our point of frustration. That's why we have so many burned bridges with so many people in our lives. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you forgive them, even if they've hurt you. And some of you, that's going to really mess you up for a second. You forgive them even if they don't ask for forgiveness. The Bible commands us. God says we have to forgive them because God forgave us. Do you understand that forgiveness isn't for them? It's for you. You forgive them so that you don't carry the weight, the toxicity of bitterness and resentment. They did you wrong. Forgive them of that. That doesn't mean that what they did was okay. It doesn't mean that what they did isn't punishable. They have to deal with them and God. You are just no longer going to allow the thing they did, the evil thing they did, is no longer going to be allowed to be carried on your shoulders. It's not going to, you're not going to allow that to weigh you down like you have to deal with all that. You forgive them, give them that weight back. You are set free of that bitterness, that resentment, that pain, that shame. That's that's gone. I forgive you. It's I'm not holding against you anymore. I'm not drawing this boundary out of hate. Now, here's something that you guys need to learn. Forgiveness and love does not mean access. You can forgive somebody who hurt you. That does not mean they get the right to hurt you again. You can forgive somebody and love somebody who has broken your trust. That does not mean they get access to do it again. 
there might be something very broken in them. They can't be trusted with closeness. Not to you, not to your kids. You can love them and draw a boundary. Here's what you gotta understand. Boundaries that are built in hate bring hurt. Boundaries that are built in humility bring health. If in my hatred, I push you out, I shouldn't be surprised that that's just gonna hurt the relationship more and more. Because I hate you, I hate what you did, I hate what's happened, I'm, I'm filled with anger, I'm filled with frustration, I've reached my max with you, you're out. That's not gonna bring anything healthy. But if in humility, you ready for this? I recognize that I also need boundaries. Some of y'all are not with me. Like, 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 no, preach about the other person. No, you need boundaries. In humility, I'm a dumpster fire that God is working through. And with God's grace, I'll look more like Jesus and less like Josh. But I know the Josh side of me needs to be limited in his access because he can really ruin some people's lives. So what boundaries are good for you and for me? Some people I need a boundary with because they... (laughs) So I need to make sure I don't spend enough time where the boiling point rises to the place that I want to choke the fire out of them. So I set a boundary like, hey, I got 20 minutes with this person. (laughs) then I got to go. Like, you got to learn your boundaries. This is what the Bible says in, in Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot seldom be in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. That's pretty blunt. <laughs> Sometimes you're so annoying that if somebody spends too much time around you, they hate your face. They don't want to see you anymore. Just learn that about yourself. There are people that just can't handle too much of you. Now, if you need to tell yourself that's because you're so awesome and they're so jealous, that's fine. But you could just live in reality and know that there's things about you that are annoying and you need to be handled in small doses. That's a great, that's a great boundary line. Boundaries are okay. Boundaries are good if they're done healthily. How do we, how do we though, have healthy boundaries and then still become the kind of people that God's called us to be? Well, this is where it gets tough. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you what your boundary line has to be, but I think if you pray and you walk with God, he'll show you. But then we have the question, though, and I preached a couple weeks ago about Philip and Ethiopian eunuch and how we have to always be ready to share our testimony, and we, we want to be a light, and we want to reach out. So how do I do that? Well, there's a, there's a story uh, inside the story of Jacob running away from Laban. Um, I don't have time to tell you the whole thing, but it says this in verse 19. At the time they left, Laban was some distance away. He was shearing his sheep, and Rachel went in and stole her father's household idols and took them with her. It's like a sub-story within this story. Rachel goes in and takes the idols that her dad was, had started worshiping, and she takes them on the journey. And by the way, Laban uses that as one of his excuses with Jacob and why he's so mad at Jacob. Jacob didn't know anything about it. And I've, heard, I've read a lot of commentaries and a lot of uh, studies on why the, these idols were taken. Was Rachel trying to uh, get some money for them? They were probably valuable, probably made from gold and silver, and they might have had some monetary worth. Maybe that's what she was doing. Some people think that she thought they might have had power and they, they would have helped her in her journey or they might have helped her dad catch them. And so she was believing in the false gods. I don't think that was it, but maybe. Um, I, I heard one and I kind of lean towards this, but I, I, the Bible doesn't tell tell us her motivation. So I don't honestly know the answer. But the, there are some thoughts that she took them because 
her dad was worshiping these false gods and she didn't want that for him, so she tried to help him by taking them out. And whatever the motivation, it leaves me with this question, like how do I help my Uncle Laban's? How do I help the person in my life that maybe came into your mind as I was preaching this? Like how do I help that person that's really hard to help? Stealing the idols from them sounds like an idol. Like this will help them. It, It doesn't. Forcibly trying to make them change rarely ever has anything positive. And that's not what God has called us to. There are other religions that try to forcibly get you to convert. That's not true faith, by the way. So what do I want for my Uncle Laban's? What do I want for the people in my life that are, that are hard, hard to be around? The people who need Jesus. This is what the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're supposed to have a flavor to you. You're supposed to have an impact to you that everything you touch is changed by the flavor of you. That's why I'm telling you, do not take this message as a withdrawal from the world permission. You're not supposed to be a recluse. You're supposed to be actively adding flavor to everything. He says, but what what good is it if you've lost your flavor? You you can't become salty. You gotta be thrown out. He says, if you're a light, in the next verse, if you're a light of the world, like a city that's on a hill, you can't hide that light. Nobody buys a lamp or a, a really bright flashlight that has all this potential and then just puts it under a basket that you're wasting all of the good. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will eventually praise your heavenly father. You're supposed to act in a way that points people back to God. So this holiday season, tomorrow at work, three months from now, when you bump into that person that you're like, I don't really want to see them, your actions should be a light to them. And first Peter, Peter wrote this to the followers. He says, hey guys, instead, I want you to worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if somebody asks you about the hope that you have as a believer, Always be ready. Always be ready. Always be ready to explain it. How about tomorrow and maybe even Thursday at Thanksgiving or the next time you're around those people, how about you conduct yourself in a way that they want to ask you about the hope that it is that you have? Make them curious about the peace and the joy and the hope that is bubbling up inside of you because you found Jesus. Act in a way that's so different from the rest of the family that when they go, man, what is, what's up with him? Hey, I noticed, I noticed you're not as angry as you used to be. What's going on? Hey, I noticed you didn't drink five bottles of wine this meeting. <laughs> what's up? Now, here's the truth. They might be like, ah, you get Jesus, you know? They might might, might make light of it because they don't know how to handle it. But you should still act in a way that plants a seed in their life that lets them know that you found something. And don't make it about you. Hey, look what I did. Look how much better I am. Make it about the fact that you found something that they can find too. You're not the answer, but you met the one who is the answer. Let that be your mission this, this holiday season. 
Let me pray over you. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes, and I'll pray over you. As I pray out loud, why don't you pray right where you're at and ask God to do a work in your heart. And if you're in the overflow room, if you're watching this online, if you're listening to this on the podcast, wherever you're at, have a moment of prayer where you simply say, Lord, help me. God, I need you. Lord, don't let me be a Laban in somebody else's life. God, right now, show me areas where maybe I, I, I've, I've, I've overstepped. Show me areas where I haven't been healthy. Show me areas where I've put too much pressure on, on a family member or I've manipulated or I've whined. God, don't let me be the kind of person who's toxic. Help me, Lord God. Show me ways to improve. Maybe your prayer today needs to be, God, help me stand up. I know that there's some things that are unhealthy in my family. I know there's some things that aren't the way they should be. God, help me to to make some changes. Help me to put up some healthy boundaries. God, let me do it in humility, not in hate. God, let me do it so that I can grow closer to you and I can point more people to you. Maybe your prayer right now needs to be, Lord, help me be the kind of light in my family. Help me be a salt that changes the flavor of my family. Help me be a light that shines into the darkness and draws my loved ones to you. God, let me show up at work this week. Let me be that kid in class this week at my school that, that has something different that would point others to you. God, let me be that for you. Maybe that's your prayer. God, I, I know that there's somebody here, Lord, that, that doesn't know you as their personal savior and so God, I ask that right now you would help that person have the strength and the wisdom to just follow you. God, if you said if we would just admit that we can't take care of our sins, that we can't fix our sin, we can't remove our, our problems, that you are the only solution, God. If we would own that today, if right now we would confess you and surrender to you, you said you would forgive us and save us. So God, I pray for that person who needs that who needs you, who, who needs to start this journey of hope that only you can provide. God, I pray that right now, as they're under the sound of my voice, they would just open their heart to you, that they would surrender and invite you in. God, help me, help every person under the sound of my voice be more like Christ, whether we walk out of this message in a few minutes looking different, God, whether you give us a different way to speak or, God, you help us not say some of the things that we tend to say. God, let us look more like you and less like ourselves. And God, let us be a light to our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. God, let us be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Lord, help us. We all need you. So we ask this, we pray this, and we trust all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.